excited to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again, right here in South Florida, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, and then across the nation, around the world, and today as we begin, I would love for us to join our hearts together in a declaration of faith. Would you repeat after me? God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And we want to join our hearts and, uh, and our prayers for those that are in the uh, path of Dorian right now, knocking on our door all week. Um, I'm so excited that we got to come together in our physical campuses here in South Florida, but others are not so, uh, they have not had that opportunity today, so we may have some joining us online from um, our friends in the Bahamas or up the state of Florida, and we want you to know of our prayers as well. But especially today, you know, we have some sister churches in the Bahamas, Abacos, the, uh, in particular, Bishop Pender in McLean Town and at Pelican Point and East Grad, Bahama Highland, where many of us have been to do mission already, and, and we want our prayers, we want you to know of our love and prayers today. So uh, why don't we bow together? Lord, we are humbled at the opportunity of being together today when we realize that others are in harm's way even now. Others are in the path of the storm, and we want to pray together that the storm would just be pushed out to sea, that you would push Dorian on out into the Atlantic where it can just dissipate and not do any damage to anybody. Um, and yet we also worship you, Lord, knowing that you have the power not just to turn the storm, but to turn us in the storm, and that you are ever-present with us regardless of the storm. And so I invite your blessing upon each person who feels life is storming around them today. May they sense your presence and know your peace as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, you know what? It's... Um, Labor Day in the United States of America. Does anybody know what that means? You know where that came from? You know why that matters? I know somebody's thinking, ooh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, end of summer, beginning of school. Because that's how we treat it. You know, when Labor Day gets here, you know summer's over and school has started, the new school year begins. But if you look at the United States Labor Department website, it will tell you that Labor Day was the creation of the labor movement in America at the end of the 19th century, and it is a day that has been set aside to pay tribute to the contributions that workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. And today, if you have ever worked a day in your life in the United States of America, this day is celebrating your contribution and every person whose work brings strength, prosperity, and well-being to our country. I don't know that I've ever brought a Labor Day message, but this is one today. And this sounds good, doesn't it? That's like things you want to have in your country. And speaking of country, can I tell you, my dad was a big country music fan. We got any country music listeners uh, paying attention today? Yeah. 
Uh, you know what country music stations do this time of year, every year? They pick out their all-time favorite working man songs. So maybe yours is on the list. Like, it's five o'clock somewhere. That's the song for the working man. And it winds up on the list. There's another song called Dollar. My dad loved country songs because they always told a story. This one tells the story of a boy whose dad works for dollars, and the son is wanting to know, how many dollars will I need to be able to afford to hire him for a fishing trip? Yeah, see? Uh, there's another one that says, the Lord have mercy on the working man. Why? Because his money is already spent. He hasn't even been paid yet, but his money's already spent on taxes and bills. Can I get an amen? See, you feel that, right? You know what that one is. There's another one called Hard Hat and Hammer, and it celebrates all of the people who keep our cars running on the road and who keep our grocery store shelves stocked. Now, when you're facing a storm, having your grocery store shelves stocked matters, doesn't it? And there's a song celebrating that contribution to culture as well. Then there's Coal Miner's Daughter. You know this one, true story written by Loretta Lynn about the contribution and sacrifices her dad made for her family. The lyric says this, we were poor, but we had love. That's the one thing my daddy made sure of, the contribution for the working man. And then there's the Dolly Parton song. Maybe you're already thinking of this one. Nine, two, five. Yeah, you're, you're already there. Uh, this one's about all the unfair things that office people have to put up with in their work. And then, you know what the top of the list is? I mean, this one weighs in number one on a lot of those lists. It's on behalf of all those people who suffer horrible bosses and yet can't afford to speak their mind. Johnny Paycheck, take this job and... Love it, is what they said, to those of you listening out there. You recognize any of those? Listen, if you have ever given a day's work in your life in this country, then Labor Day is celebrating you. That's what it was meant for. But I have more for you today than simply a history lesson and some country songs. We open God's word, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. All scripture is inspired by God. That means it has God's life breath in it. If you need a fresh breath to breathe into your spirit, this is the place to turn. And it says it's useful for teaching truth, rebuking error, correcting faults, and giving instruction for right living. And that right living also applies to living in your workspace. Did you know that 60 to 75% of your waking hours as an adult in this country is spent in a workspace. People who study it say this, of your waking hours, the majority of your waking hours, 60 to 75% of every week is going to be engaged in workspace. Now, would it matter to you to know how to do right living where you spend the majority of your time in your week? Yes. So Paul says, to what end? What does that right living lead to? So that the person who serves God may be qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. Other translations say good work, good job. Today we're going to be talking for a little bit about a really good four-letter word, and here it is, W-O-R-K. 
W-O-R-K. Jesus said this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus was a worker. You study his story, you read his story in the Gospels, you discover he was a carpenter. He knew what work was like. He was a working man. His followers, when he called them to become part of the movement, they were working men. Most of them were fishermen. So they, they knew the smell of the fish market and the feel of the fishing nets. And, the, uh, and, and so Jesus taught and practiced the value of work. So I want, what I want to do is just give you three reasons, the top three biblical reasons for the, the Christian worldview of work. Why does it matter? What is it for? Number one, reason number one, we work to live. We work to live. We gotta keep body and soul together. You gotta put food on the table. You gotta provide what it takes to cover the physical needs to keep your material self alive. We need food, shelter, clothes, basic bare necessities of life, right? And yet, unlike Baloo in Jungle Book, you know, he just kind of saunters along until the bare necessities of life will come to you. That is not the biblical view. In fact, um, there are basically four ways to get money. Do you know these? One of them is steal, and usually that involves cheating or lying to people and hurting others to take what is not yours. The second one is um, to uh, inherit it. That usually involves being able to pick the right relatives, <laughs> and then they have to die. And that's the way that one works. Um, then there's in, the, win it. You can win it. You know, so when we see somebody win the lottery, what is the first thing they say usually? I'll never work another day in my life, which is not a biblical view of work at all. Something's missing here. In fact, what the statistics tell us is that people who win the lottery, their life usually lasts a lot longer than their money does. You know what the biblical view is? Earn it. Find gainful, honest employment through which you add value to life. It brings value to your life, and that's the biblical principle. And so Paul makes it really clear, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the one unwilling to work shouldn't eat. In other words, freeloading is not the value of the kingdom. Riding on somebody else's dime is not the value of the kingdom. I had a seminary professor, he said, hallelujah, I'm a bum, is not found in the Psalms. <laughs> because the biblical view of gaining money is be gainfully employed. The value of work, work to live. So really, unlike Baloo, who I already mentioned, the bare necessities of life will come to you. You, know, you just kind of saunter your way through life and look for what comes. No, the biblical view is much more like Snow White and the seven dwarfs, who they get up every day and start whistling and start singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. That's the biblical view. You gainfully get employed, you add value to life, and you bring value to your life. So that's what we're celebrating on Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. But to work to live is a very different thing from live to work. Working to live brings value to life. Living to work is called idolatry. And it takes value from life. 
Jesus said he was a worker. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. One of the first things we see in the Bible, you barely open the story up and you'll see that God's working. God's making stuff. God's adding value. God takes a six-day work week, and he's making some pretty cool stuff during his work week. God works. And then Jesus said that I see my father at work, and so I got to go to work too. So in the, the work of redemption, Jesus engages himself. The Gospels also tell us that his earthly stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter which means that Jesus most likely grew up in a carpenter's shop where he came to understand the the feel of sweeping sawdust and the the sense of calluses on his finger and, and in his grip with the saw and the tools. That in that carpenter shop, he would have understood the value of square corners and of building on the level. These things matter. And yet, and and bringing value to other people's lives in the process. But Jesus also taught this, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. In other words, work's purpose is not fulfilled just in getting, in empowering you to buy more stuff. That's not the purpose of work, so that you can become a materialist and let your greed be vented. Work doesn't find its value simply acquiring more things. Yes, we have to work to live, but Jesus said, what does it profit a man? I mean, this one's one of those smack you upside the head verses here. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And then he told this story in Luke chapter 12. He said, this this really successful businessman was making it good and decided, you know, I need some place to put all of my profits. So he built bigger barns to hold all the stuff and secure his future, so he thought. And yet Jesus called him a fool. He said, you fool. Tonight your soul's required of you. Now it's not that securing your future financially is a bad thing. He's just saying, if the only future you secure is the one as long as you're breathing air here, that's a very foolish thing. Because you're gonna die, and if you have not prepared for what is yet to come, then you're missing the point of work. Now, we don't work for our salvation, don't misunderstand me, but we do work from it for the benefit of life. So we work to live, and there's a second reason. We work to grow, to grow and develop personally. This is a biblical worldview. We explore and expand our skills. We build our competencies. We demonstrate our character. We solve relational problems. We enter into crisis. We meet needs. We learn how to work together with other people. In that 60 to 75% of your waking hours every week, that work arena gives you a chance to grow. It gives you a chance to apply yourself. It gives you a chance to grow beyond yourself. It gives you a chance to add value to somebody else's life. And uh, so work is the arena where that can take place. It also, it also gives us the chance of growing in the sense of improving the quality of our lives. I pastored in Texas for several years prior uh, to coming here. And uh, there were ranchers and farmers and... Um, 
My father-in-law's a farmer, in fact. And it just made me, this preparation reminded me of a story where this farmer had taken his preacher out. This farmer had got lots of acreage, is beautifully kept, I mean, meticulously managed. It was cultivated so that it was productive. The crops just looked awesome. And so he invited this preacher out to go tour him around the, all the, the uh, spread and came to the end of it. And, and you know what the pastor said? A rather sanctimonious voice. Why, it's quite a spread the Lord has given you here. And the farmer simply said, well, you should have seen it when the Lord had it all to himself. (laughs) Because the point is, God wants us to be co-laborers with him. God gives us the raw goods, and then we're to develop them and to deploy them, and we're supposed to grow to understand what our skill sets are and how to apply them in a way that make a difference for somebody else. And... um, I realize we're in urban culture, and that story about farming makes more sense maybe in Homestead or Florida City, but I think you get my point. My point is, we as human beings, here's what the Scripture says. You are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, and you are made to extend the dominion of God in this world. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God puts Human beings made in his image after his likeness to extend his dominion, and he puts them in this amazing, raw, good garden, and he says, now develop it. Not just eat off of its produce, but make it more productive. Got all these crazy, wild, beautiful animals in that space, and he tells Adam, now you name them. In other words, engage your creative energy. You know, don't just count the beans. Engage your creativity, do the discovery, and then be productive. So in other words, before we ever get to Genesis chapter 3, where we start experiencing the curse of sin in our work life, God has designed work as an opportunity to discover and develop and deploy our potentials and our skills in a way that adds value to cover the needs of our family, but then also enhance what comes to be known as culture and economy. And then we build it by doing our part. Now, I'm not a computer scientist, and probably you, not, you are not either. But my hunch is that every person here and listening, wherever you're joining us, has access to something called a smart device that you probably didn't do the research and development for, but has in, empowered you to grow in ways. You're on the learning curve now and has affected your business, affected your life, affected and benefited you in many ways. Well, this is the principle here. Somebody else applies themselves, and then the value gets shared abroad, and then as they make a difference, then we get a chance to take it to another level as well. And that all has opportunity to happen in that 60 to 75% space of the waking hours of your adult life. So we work to live, yeah, but we're not just living for the weekend. We work to grow, to develop to deploy our skills, to solve problems, to meet needs, to feel like we're making a difference. And when somebody else makes a difference, then we can ride the crest of that wave to another place and say, well, hey, what could I do to make it better? This is God's plan. And then the third biblical principle is we work to give. We work to give. To give what? Well, first, to give glory to God. 
This is all through Scripture, especially the New Testament. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, hey, whatever you do, (laughs) nothing is beyond the reach of God's glory cramming in there, filling it up, and spilling over. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your workspace can be full of God's glory. And he writes it again in Colossians. Whatever you do, there it is. Hey, whatever, yeah. Whatever you do or whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Verse 23, look at this. Work willingly at whatever you do. Why? Because you're not working for the man. You're not working for the weekend. You're not working for your retirement. You're not working for the paycheck. He says, no, believer, you're working for the Lord. Not just people. Get your eyes on the prize here and then remember that the Lord's going to give you an inheritance. That his payday's coming and the master that you serve is Christ. So in other words, he's just saying work gives us opportunity. I don't know if you've ever thought of your workplace and your workspace being that opportunity for you, but glory means, that's a worship word. That means that even in your work life, you can be worshiping God. And that God can fill your workspace and your workplace and your work thinking as a co-laborer with him to bring solutions and add value that can provide life for others. And as they are able then to take care and they work so that other people can live with them, then likewise, they grow because you're giving them opportunity to grow by working with you. I want to say thank God for the entrepreneurs in our culture, in our world. Thank God for the startups. Thank God for the schools and the corporations and the companies that take the risk to grow, to get out there and say, may we hire you? And then some of you step up and say, I'll work with you. I'll work for you. And then we build a work culture in that 60 to 75% of the waking hours of our lives to add value, to make a better space so that other people can work to live, work to give, I mean, work to grow, and then work to give Glory as well. Give opportunity. So we give glory to God, but we give opportunity to others. Thank God for people who give opportunity to other people. That's what a healthy growing economy is based on a healthy growing workforce, which means you're engaging and developing and deploying your gifts in a way that adds benefit to somebody else. You see where this is going, right? But this is the biblical worldview of work. And not only to men, but also to women. This might be a surprise to some of you. The Old Testament and the New Testament are very clear about God's daughters being entrepreneurial leaders as well. The woman of God in the Proverbs chapter 31 passage, which is probably the most famous and known passage in the Old Testament, speaks of a woman who not only manages her home, but who oversees real estate purchasing who oversees agricultural development, who manages the budgets such that they end up in the black to the point that from the margin that she earns, she's able to see that her family's needs are covered and then give beyond her own family so that other people in need can benefit. Proverbs chapter 31, check it out. Outfits her home and then helps others in the community. Talk about a wonder woman. And then in Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament, there's a woman named Lydia. And the first thing we learn about her is that she is a retailer in exotic cloth. She's got a clothing type business. She, she, 
she's got sales going on with purple cloth that allow her to be very successful. And then it goes on to tell us she was the first Christian convert on the continent of Europe. So this woman, who was a successful businesswoman, was the first woman who also had the clarity of heart and gift of the Spirit to say, I want to trust Jesus and follow him. And she was so successful, Acts chapter 16, it says that she owned her own home. She was a homeowner, and since it was her home, she invited Paul and his team to do the ministry through her home. It became like the headquarters so that other people could get their opportunity to grow as well. The only non-Jew, non-Jewish writer in the New Testament, Luke, tells that Lydia was not the only woman who was giving so that other people could grow. Luke chapter 8 lists several women who were the financial underwriters of the ministry of Jesus. You ever wonder how Jesus paid his bills? You ever wonder how he fed all those disciples? He wasn't always turning fish into, you know, leftovers. It says there were three women in particular, Mary, Susanna, and Joanna, who from their own resources joined many others and gave financially so that the ministries could go forward. That's amazing. So they were working and they were giving so that other people could hear about Jesus and his ministry could be underwritten across Galilee. So we give glory to God, we give opportunity to others, and we work to give financially to the Lord. Now in a not-for-profit, we talk about margin in this way. No margin, no mission. We exist for our mission. We want people to find and follow Christ. But the way that we send missionaries, the way that we underwrite ministry is through margin. So we got to carefully manage the the financial gifts that God gives through his people so that we can multiply mission. And that's why from time to time we will say, here's the biblical principle, we give to God's work. And we work and succeed responsibly so that we can live and give generously. And this is a biblical value. I mean, this is the way God finances his kingdom mission. It's through believers who are working to his glory in their workspace, discovering and developing their gifts, solving problems, meeting needs, and then adding value to the point that from as they progress and are promoted in the workplace, then they, li- they bring the margin and say, God, I'm trusting you with this so your kingdom can be advanced. And Paul writes about this in another letter, 2 Corinthians 8, to the believers in Macedonia. He said, you know, we didn't even teach them about this. But entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. That's whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And then what? Then by the will of God to us. So the teaching here is simply in the workspace where you will spend 60 to 75% of your waking hours of your adult life, you can invite the presence of God to meet you there in ways that cause you to grow and then sharpen your mission there to the point that other people will be affected and benefited in whatever honorable profession that you serve in. So we give himself ourselves to him first, and then through our profession in the values that we practice, the competencies that we serve with, the character that we demonstrate, we add value. So 
whether you're a teacher or a mechanic or an engineer or a musician or an accountant, whether you serve in finance, in healthcare, whether you're a scientist or a lawyer, or you're in retail, whatever it is that you do, he says, whatever you do, you can do it to the glory of God. And then Jesus said, you are salt of the earth, light of the world, and others, when they see your good work, huh, oh, in the workplace, my work is to be pointing them, they will give glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting? I read an article from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association that claims that in the workplace, the average Christian in America knows 50, 50, 50 non-believers personally. And actually, they're going to spend more time with the 50 non-believers in their workspace every week than with their closest believing friends. I'm just asking you, what's God thinking? What's God thinking? He's thinking, how about if I suggest this? God is saying, hey, you've got such an opportunity to just show up, do good work, let your values shine, and add value so that somebody out there knows the value that you bring. You're saying, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not talking about being a preacher. I'm talking about being a reacher. That through you, God can reach into whatever profession and vocation that you find yourself in right now and then, say, and then offer some hope in the midst of it, in the conversations that accompany work life. There's a chance to be able to share some more of real life. And we do it responsibly, but this is God's plan. Actually, here's the, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is God's plan. You're the yeast, and through your work life, you have a chance to make impact, right? So, but here's the point. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present, and we show up to bring our values, to add, to live the love of Jesus, and then just go the distance, trusting that God is going to bring his blessing in there as well. And speaking of going the distance, Jesus went all the way to the cross, and there, among his final words, were these three. It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished, did he? No. What was he talking about? He's talking about his work. He finished the job. <laughs> he had come to purchase the salvation of the world through the giving of his life, and he said, hey, got the job done. Now I'm ready to go home. And because he did, because Jesus finished his work, you get to experience the value we don't work for our salvation, but we receive the work that Jesus did on our behalf, and then we go into our world to model what he did. Now, here's what I, how I'd like to close today. I want to invite God's blessing upon different levels and layers of our workspace. 
And so I'm going to invite us to close our, close our eyes, bow our heads, and then if you would like to allow me to pray over you in one of these spaces, then you just stand, okay? All of our campuses, wherever you're joining us, church online, Kindle, anybody, and right here in this room, if you are one of the people who fits one of these categories and you just sense you'd like to stand, I'm going to invite you to. Um, First, I want to pray for people that are looking for employment opportunities or for promotional or transfer a shift in your work environment space. And I'll tell you why. Because last week, somebody came up to me after, the final, after one of the messages and said, Oh, Bill, you know, two weeks ago when I told you I'm unemployed and my mortgage is coming due and would you pray that we could have a, I could get a job? Then two days later, after our ministry prayed here, the job came in, and she just wanted me to know, wow, God answered prayer. So that kind of prompted us to say, maybe there are others who are ready. Maybe that's you. If you are needing work or you are open to a promotion or a shift in your work environment, in your job, would you just stand and allow me to join you in that prayer for a moment? Lord Jesus, for every woman and man that is standing who's ready for a change, who needs to trust your promise, perhaps because they've been out of work and they want to provide for their family needs, we know you, you said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. So we pray that you would open that door of opportunity. And for others who are employed but uh, just feel like they're... they're um, maybe spending their wheels. They're ready for more responsibility. They'd like to have another opportunity. We pray that your blessing would meet and find them today as well as they seek to bring their best to add value through their work to your glory. Now, you remain standing, please, and I'm going to ask the next group. These are other employees throughout organizations who perhaps you've been doing the work, you've been showing up for the job, you've been giving it your all, you've been solving problems and meeting needs, but, but you could use a fresh burst of blessing upon you. You could use perhaps some words of encouragement or appreciation. It would be nice to be noticed for the good that you're seeking to do. Is that you? Would you stand and allow us to pray God's blessing upon you? Lord, for these who are embedded in their organizations like yeast working its way through the dough, we pray today that they would feel your pleasure, know that they're not serving for a paycheck and not serving for a human supervisor, but rather, Lord, that your eyes would have their heart's eyes, and yet even in that space, that you would cause somebody to notice the value they're bringing and then offer encouragement, appreciation, perhaps the right adjustment in salary that's going to make the difference. And we're trusting you for the needs of these who serve faithfully and well in so many organizations across our county. Now, the next group I'd like to add is maybe um, customers and consumers. Do you benefit from somebody else's work in an environment? Would you like to ask God to use you to be of help, then I invite you to stand. Lord, for those of us who receive the benefit from others' investments in work life, we pray that you would give us eyes of appreciation and hearts of humility to know how to say thank you for those willing to take the risk and step up and serve. 
so that we might have our needs met. And help us, Lord, to be respectful in our economic exchanges, to show appreciation for those who are trying to do their best, or even when they don't do their best, and we're voicing our complaint and our concern to do it in a way that's humane and redemptive. And now for those who are supervisors or managers or bosses, perhaps owners, entrepreneurs, Lord, for these who, uh, who are willing to take the larger risk so that many can find employment and have opportunity for work, and the burdens that they bear, the, the shoulders that are carrying the weight we pray that you would give them hearts that are sensitive to the needs of people, not only the needs of their customers, but the needs of those that work so that they can succeed. We pray that you would give them a sense of respect for what they're doing, but would likewise responsibility to help us do a better job for everybody involved. And we thank you, Lord, for each one who's bringing the best they can to the workplace. Now, there's one other group I want to invite to stand, and that's somebody who perhaps is ready this day to receive the benefit of Jesus' finished work. Every week we have a chance to say, I want to know Jesus personally, and this is the prayer to pray if that's where you are. Lord, forgive my sins. Come into my life. I believe that on the cross, you did everything required so I could have a relationship with you. So now I am turning from trying to work my way into your pleasure and receiving the grace that you give me through Jesus. Come into my life and lead me. Our head's still bowed for a moment, but if you prayed that final prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon you, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're joining us online? You can click there on screen. Kendall Campus, we're praying right now with and for you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. To my right, to my left, in the back, God bless you. Lord Jesus, for every person by uplifted hand, saying my heart is open and I receive the gift that you, the value that you bring to me in salvation because of your finished work on the cross. May they feel your peace and know your presence as we make our prayer in your name.